This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. All right. Uh, you heard me when I prayed. We opened up. How many tonight really want to grow? Don't want to be the same old stupid person that you were before you got born again. You want to live new. You want to do new. And you want God's best in your life. How about the Bible does promise believers that God wants you to have better things than the world has even. A better life, a better marriage, better jobs, better finances, better health. God wants the whole world blessed. But until you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're not, you're not, you're not in the running for it. You know, the whole thing is, uh, Jesus in the Bible, he talks about the difference between sinners and saints or believers. And so as believers, God wants the best, but you've got to qualify for it. You know, He wants you to live, He wants you to live right and live like a Christian should live. And a lot of Christians, I think, probably don't know how to live because they haven't really heard the Bible taught very much. But we're going to look at some things tonight in the book of Ephesians. We're going to be going to Ephesians chapter 4, and I'm going to be using the Amplified Bible quite a bit, so you'll probably have to watch it on the screen. But I want to show you a couple books that'll, that'll help you. In the things we're studying, this is Brother Hagin book called Exceeding Growing Faith. Exceeding Growing Faith. Your faith starts off as a general saving faith. Every believer starts off with the same faith. But according to what you do with the Word of God and how you act on the Word of God will determine how much your faith grows. So your faith can grow. This book will teach you how your faith can grow. And then also, this is a really, really excellent book. It's not something you sit down and read in one day or one one week and probably not in one month. It's called the Triumphant Church, and it, it shows us how to walk. And a lot of this out of the Book of Ephesians, why I'm showing this tonight. It shows you how to walk, how to believe, how to receive, and really this is one of our deeper books. I mean, it, it, by that I mean this is a serious book where you can't just sit down at lunchtime and eat an apple and glance at the book. This one, you have to sit down at your at your couch, your your kitchen table, whatever. If your notebook out, your Bible out. And read, and read probably about a page or two at a time, and then think about that and let it sink in. It's really an excellent book. And if you're having trouble with the devil, this book here will show you how to get him out of your life. Amen. So Ephesians chapter four. And as we, as we, as we set this up and look at it, the first, the first 16 verses of Ephesians chapter four, the Holy Spirit teaches us about the importance of unity in the Christian faith. And that's kind of what Mrs. Pastor has been teaching on the last couple of weeks is unity in the faith and how to get along. And so the first 16 verses uh, describes the purpose and function of fivefold ministry gifts, which are apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. In other words, the ones like, like, like me that God calls us specifically to come out, come out from secular work and go full time working for him and take care of his people. So the first several verses teaches that. And then also, it teaches those first 16 verses how our job as ministers is to teach you how to grow up. How to get along together in church in the unity of the faith. How to serve God together. How the body of Christ is all important no matter what your job is. That you're all important together. How to work together. And then from verse 17 all the way to the end of the book of Ephesians, it tells Christians, now this is important, tells Christians how God wants us to live and behave so we can enjoy His blessings. And so uh, 
others around us want to follow Christ also because they see the victory in our lives. How many want that? You want to know how to live and you want all the blessings because you want people looking. You think, I want to be like them. I want to follow them. And uh, matter of fact, in Ephesians, we're not going there, but Ephesians 5 verse 1 says we're supposed to be imitators of God as dear children imitate their fathers. And so we have to understand that not only do our children look up to us and want to be like us, but people we work with, neighbors, whenever somebody sees somebody that, that, that you know, on the positive or negative, that has a voice, has influence, they want to imitate them. That's why you have so many, so many bad gang type things. Because people had been seeing the right thing at home, and so they want to follow gangbangers. But then at the same time, you get somebody that's living right, and you can see it at the anointing on their life, then they're going to start switching over and want to start following somebody different. So that's what we want in our lives. But Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, in the Amplified Bible, says this. So this I say, and solemnly testify in the name of the Lord as in His presence, that you must no longer live as the, as the heathen, the Gentiles do, in their perverseness, in the folly, vanity, and emptiness of their souls, as futility of their minds. Their moral understanding is darkened, and their reasoning is beclouded. They are alienated, estranged, self-banished from the life of God with no share in it. This is because of the ignorance, the want of knowledge and perception, the willful blindness that is deep-seated in them due to their hardness of heart, to the insensitiveness of their moral nature. In their spiritual apathy, they have become callous and past feeling and reckless and have abandoned themselves a prey to unbridled sensuality eager and greedy to indulge in every form of impurity that the depraved desires may suggest and demand. Now, that's, that's a pretty deep passage. says a whole lot there. But I know when I was a young Christian, I was a Christian in the truck driving world. And, uh, you know, I was thinking about this this afternoon. I wasn't in church all the time. I was in church four or five times a week every time I was there. I was there, but most of the majority of my time I was out in the truck driving world. I was around warehouses, truck docks, places. And I was thinking about this today. I don't know if places today are like they were back then. Back then, the majority of warehouses, you didn't see women working in warehouses. Now, everywhere you go, women are there too. You didn't see women working in, in, the, in the trucking areas and stuff like that. And so what I saw as a young Christian truck driver, when I was a center truck driver, I didn't pay no, any attention to what was around me much because I was a center and I was a part of it, and I liked it. But when I became a Christian, all of a sudden it was so obvious to me, every truck dock I went to, everywhere else I went to, it was all men. They had naked pictures on the walls everywhere. You go in to sign freight bills in an office of a nice business, it'd be a respectable business like we all shop at here, grocery stores, wherever it was. It was all men working in those back rooms. You walked back there as soon as you got to the nice storefront that everybody saw came in, Go back there to sign freight bills and deliver stuff. You looked down, you had to see a naked picture where you signed your bills at. Everywhere I went, there was pictures like that everywhere. And today, I think it's probably stopped because of all the way they handle things and women work everywhere. But what I'm saying is this. 
I had to train myself. I look at these verses. I trained myself when I walk in. I had to make myself be blind to what I saw. I had to be able to, because it's kind of hard to carry on a conversation. You're a Christian. And you got a full-blown picture of a naked lady on a wall and you're talking to somebody. And see, I'm only telling you this because God told us we're not to live that way anymore like they live. And, you know, I don't know what it is that would be in front of you that would try to take your face and your mind off of Jesus, be distracted with other things. But for me, I'm thinking, when I first got saved, that was one of my biggest challenges because all I did all day long is went from business to business, place to place. And I would say probably 75% of the businesses were that way where men looked at those things all day long. And I knew as a Christian that I wasn't the same guy I used to be. I did not want to look at those things all day long. But that's what these verses say. That's how the world lives in their depravity. That's all they want to do is think about things like that and look at things like that, focus on things like that. And that's the main thing on their mind was those kind of things. And so anyway, these verses I'm looking at now, the Amplified Bible, helped me to see that I did not want to be self-banished, alienated, separated from the life of God. And so, as you as Christians, just stop and think in your lives, what is there out there now that distracts you that are things that the world does that Christians shouldn't do? You know, for me, that's what it was back then, getting delivered of all that stuff. And I, and I, I actually got myself trained where I could walk into places and look right past everything and just be able to have on conversation, not be distracted anymore by all that nastiness on the walls everywhere. But that that's really has to be a choice you make. But faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. And what I saw right there, that I could become alienated, self-banished, have no part in the blessings of God, I made a choice. I am not going to be exiled for the blessings of God. I want more as a born-again Christian than just to go to heaven. If God tells me in 3 John 2, which He does, above all things, He wants me to prosper and be in health, then I want to prosper and be in health. If He tells me in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, He wants me to have abundance and no lack, I want abundance and no lack. If He tells me in Mark chapter 11 that my faith can move mountains, I want to move mountains. I want the power of God working in me. If he tells me in Mark 16, not as a preacher, but as a believer, I can lay hands on the sick and see him recover, I want the life of God to flow through me. I want to lay hands on the sick and see him recover. If he tells me I can cast out demons in the name of Jesus, I want to cast out demons in the name of Jesus. But what I'm telling you is this. If you don't start seeing how God wants you to live, no matter what the Bible says, if you're living wrong, then you're alienated. Amen. Do you see those words there, what he says? And this, this always jumped off at me. In verse 18, it says, People that choose to live contrary to the way God says are alienated, estranged, self-banished from the life of God with no share in it. And it says it's because of willful ignorance that they choose not to do what they're supposed to do. And I want you to hold your place and look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. 
You know, with all, with all the sickness in your families and all around you, it ought to be one of your highest desires to be able to lay hands on them and see them get healed. With all the addictions, drugs, alcohol, tobacco, pornography, and all the things there are, you ought to be able to want to have the anointed God ooze it out of you enough that you could lay hands on people. You can speak to demon activity in their lives and say, Satan, in the name of Jesus, you don't have my loved one. They're not going to be captured to you anymore. In Jesus' name, I command you to back off and see some results. Amen? And that's part of the life of God, the blessings of God. But First Timothy 4.2 talks about end times. It says, speaking lies and hypocrisy. Now look at this phrase. Having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Have their conscience seared with a hot iron. Your conscience is the voice of your spirit. Reasoning is the voice of your soul. Your soul is part of your mind. Your mind is part of your soul. It reasons things out. It tries to figure things out and work things out. But then your spirit, where the Holy Spirit is, is your conscience. And that's the voice of your conscience that speaks to you and tells you, don't do that. Tells you, you know what the Bible says. Don't do that. Stop doing that. You need to quit doing that. That's your conscience. And then your feelings, your senses are the voice of your body. That's what you see, what you hear, what you taste, what you touch, what you smell. That's how your voice talks to you. Your body talks to you is through those five physical senses. But he says that people in the end times that choose to keep going wrong when they know better, their conscience gets seared. Let me tell you what that means. Uh, think about this. That the way I always see this is this. I've used a post hole digger a lot. I don't use a post hole digger a lot anymore. I don't like post hole diggers. Let somebody else use it. Anyway, if you're using a post hole digger, does everybody know what that is, by the way? They don't, everybody don't, does everybody know what a shovel is? Same thing. Or any hand tool. If you're using some kind of a tool with your hands and you got delicate hands because you haven't used your hands much, if you keep using it, you'll rub until you get a blister. Has anybody ever rubbed a blister on the half using a tool? Well, you, you know, a pair of scissors even. You know, if you don't use scissors, like you start, your hand starts getting sore, you get a blister. Well, if you keep on doing that, then the blister will break and you get a callus. Anything you're doing where you get a callus on your hand, that's an extra layer of skin above your skin. And so your nerve endings aren't sensitive anymore. And so when you get like that, you can actually stick a pin in you in that callus and it's part of you, but you don't feel it because the callus has covered up your nerve endings. And so you're not sensitive to pain like you were. Well, when your conscience gets seared as if with a hot iron, when you're a baby Christian and you start to do wrong because you're a brand new Christian, you immediately know, oh, I don't want to do that. That was a lie. And you tell somebody, oh, I'm sorry, I lied to you, I shouldn't have done that, and it really bothered you. Or it may have been, it may have been something somebody was talking about, a conversation where they were gossiping about somebody, and you knew in your heart because your conscience told you, this is wrong, I shouldn't gossip. 
this is wrong. I shouldn't be talking about them like that. I should be praying about them. But you go ahead and join the gossip anyway. Or you go ahead and continue to tell lies. Well, first it convicts you. Your conscience convicts you. And your conscience tells you, stop, don't do that. But then the next time you do it, it's a little bit easier because you're overriding the conviction of your conscience. Or the gossip. Or whatever it is you're doing that's the wrong thing to do. Well, each time you do that, your conscience is getting more calloused, more seared. And there come a point in time, but that tastes like, like, like watching movies. When you're first saved, when you bought to finally get born again, if you're watching a movie, and you see somebody start to have sex on the movie, as you're watching the movie, first thing you want to do as a new Christian, you run. You think, oh, I don't want to watch that anymore. But then there comes a point in time that you watch one and there's a little bit more clothes come off, a little bit more clothes come off, a little bit more bedroom action, and, oh, that wasn't that bad. Next thing you know, you're back to full-blown watching everything goes on on TV, everything in the movie like that, and it's not bothering you. It's not that God changed, and it's okay to watch that now, but you got calloused. Your conscience got seared. And when your conscience got seared, you didn't know it was wrong. And then you get around other Christians that are living right, and they say something such as, you say something to them such as, hey man, you see this, such such a movie that everybody's watching. And they stare at you like, what? I, I, I don't know that movie you're talking about. And you think, oh come on, everybody's watching that. And you say, well, everybody's not be watching because I'm not. And then you feel weird about them and you think, these people went off the deep end. You're a Christian too. You think they went off the deep end. They're too far out there. Well, no, they've chosen, they've chosen to listen to their conscience and run the first time they knew it was wrong. And so that's what we want to talk about tonight is you being sensitive to the Spirit of God in your human spirit and your human spirit begin to rise up and take authority over things. You know, I want to say it again about these verses I just read. The reason I read those in the Amplified Bible, because when I was a young Christian, I really was with the fear of God. When I saw God say that in the Bible, with the fear of God, I thought, I don't want to get separated from His life. I don't want to get alienated. I don't want to be self-banished from the blessings of God. I want the blessings of God. So if He's going to show me what would cause me to lose out on that, that I'm not going to do what he said don't do. And if he wants me to do something different, that I'm going to do what he wants me to do. And so the good thing about God, he never leaves you hanging. He tells you about the dangers right there of living like the world. Did you notice he said don't live like the heathen do? King James says like the Gentiles do. That means people that aren't walking the covenant of God. But then as we begin to read these verses, he tells us what to do and how to live. So back in Ephesians chapter 4, Then he says, uh, verse 20, talks about people. He said, but you did not so learn Christ. How many know that? You didn't learn that from Christ, how to live like that. Said as, as, as a new Christian, as you were sitting under a pastor, as maybe other Christians were starting to mentor you, disciple you, and help you, that's not what they taught you to do, not to live that other way. It says, assuming 
that you have really heard him and been taught by him, as all truth is in Jesus, embodied and personified in him. Now look at this. Strip yourselves of your former nature. Put off and discard your old unrenewed self, which characterized your previous manner of life and becomes corrupt through lust and desires that sprang from delusion and be constantly renewed in the spirit of your mind, having a fresh mental and spiritual attitude and put on the new nature, the regenerate self, created in the God's image, God-like in true righteousness and holiness. And so what he's saying is this. I think that probably everybody here knows by now you're a spirit being. You live inside of this body. That, you know, if you go to a funeral and they have a person's body laid there in the casket, you know that that body laid there is not this man or this woman. That is just the house they used to live in. They left this body and they live somewhere else now. Well, we as born-again Christians, 2 Corinthians 5.17, says, Therefore, if any man, any woman be in Christ, they're a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. And so on the outside, you know, if, you had, if you're a man, you had a mustache, then you still got a mustache. If you're a woman and you got black hair, you still got black hair. Your outside's not new. If you're redheaded, you're still redheaded. If you're fat, you're still fat. Unless you decide you go to fast. <laughs> if you're thin, you're still thin. But he said, old things become new. And that's on the inside of you. And so on the inside of you, as a new creature in Christ, we have the life and nature of God now. God, on the inside of you, does not want to fornicate. When you truly get born again, when you truly get born again, if you've been living with somebody for 30 years without being married to him, all of a sudden, on the inside of you, you know this is wrong. I've got to change the inside of you. Now, the outside will reason. That's okay. This is the way we live. We've lived this way all of our life. But then you begin to realize the Bible says something different about how you're supposed to live. And so, you put off the old man by saying, well, I'll tell you what, old man, this is the way that we used to do it, but I'm the new man, I'm the new woman on the inside, and I'm going to put you on on the outside. And so in other words, let me just say this real simple. You need to get what's on the inside to show up on the outside. Now that's just an act of your will, that's a choice. You know, I, I just I just think about <laughs> my life. This is another verse we're going to look at in a minute. But I, I remember back, back when I was a truck driver, how many here know I'm sure still the same? Most everybody on the job steals something. I mean, it's just what people do. You take stuff. If you're a Christian, you don't. But sinners, sinners do. Well, it was a common thing on the truck dock I worked at. How many know what gray tape is? You got gray tape, then you got cheap tape. Well, every, every, everybody, everybody on the job always stole the gray tape. I mean, you know, they always wanted, but how's that gray tape go so fast? Well, in freight, you use that to repair boxes and things you do all the time. Everybody took it. I remember after I got bored again, I had a roll of gray tape laid in my house. And boy, I tell you what, that, that thing burnt, burnt my hands. I couldn't touch that tape. I come home every day, I looked at that tape, I thought, 
I stole it when I was a sinner, but I got born again. I looked at that tape, I looked at that tape, and my conscience on the inside of me was telling me, and this put the new man on the outside to control what you do. I thought, can't throw it away. It's not mine to throw it away. That belongs to the company. What am I going to do with this tape? And so I remember that I, I, I just looked at that tape every day, and finally on the inside of me, I knew if I was going to please God, I had to return the tape to the owner of the company. And so <laughs> what I did one morning, I slipped out of my jacket. I come walking into the dock and looked around. I took it through it over there with the tapes. But then what I did what I didn't realize is they'd been out of gray tape for a while and all they have is the old cheap tape. And so the guys start walking past and I say, Where'd that gray tape come from? We don't have any tape here. And I just kind of Like that, but what I'm saying, when you begin to do what the Bible says here, let the old man die and let the new man live, you're going to start doing things. Sometimes you'll be embarrassed. I know, I know, I know that, uh, I know there was one guy in a very personal situation on my job that had really, 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 really done me wrong. He had done me bad wrong. And I know one day, the Lord told me, go up to him and hug him. Tell him you love him. That you're a born-again Christian now and you forgive him. I mean, the thing he did to me was really very, very bad wrong. I don't want to talk about it. Just bad, bad, bad wrong. So anyway, I just fought that. We clocked it at the same time, 8 o'clock every day. And man, I thought, because everybody there knew how bad it was. The situation was really bad. I mean, the whole company knew what he'd done to me and my family. It was bad. And so, you know, you go up to somebody that everybody thinks you ought to kill, and you're going to walk up to him in front of everybody and hug him, and tell him you forgive him, and you love him. And so I remember, boy, the Lord just on this side of me, my conscience was convicting me, you got to do it, got to do it, got to do it, because I knew that the first fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, love, God is love, God lives in you. So on the inside of you, the outward man says, I don't get mad, I get even. The inward man says, I forgive and I forget. So I remember I drove 18-wheelers. So I remember I took off that day, pulled out of the freight yard. And man, I, as soon as I turned the corner, we had two driveways, one on one side of the dock. Other, I, pulled out, I pulled out of the dock. As soon as I did, but I was so convicted, my heart was going fast. Like, oh my God, today's the day, today's the day. I pulled out. And instead of turning that way, I made a U-turn come right back in. I come into the truck dock. I locked the brakes up of that 18-wheeler. Eek! I ran up on the dock. I ran up to this guy. I said, oh, I love you so much. I said, I forgive you. I said, I forgive you. Two weeks later, I laid hands on him. He started speaking in tongues. <laughs> hey, man, he got born again. He got born again. And then I got to talk to him about the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I had a little pocket Bible. We sit down on the curb there, and the whole dock went nuts. They thought, what are they doing? They thought, man, Bertie's going to shoot him or something. Said, he's tricking him. He's sneaking up on him. Well, I laid hands on him. He started speaking in tongues. <laughs> but what am I saying? I'm saying this. There's things from your past life still holding on to you. And the Word of God says, 
Take that old man off. Take those attitudes off. Get rid of those feelings. Throw them in the garbage can where they belong. We don't live by feelings. We live by faith in the Word of God. You throw those things in the garbage can, and then what you and your heart know to do, you put that on the outside then. You say, this is how I'm going to act. Does anybody want to know the difference between righteousness and holiness? Amen. Okay, Second Corinthians 5.21 says, We are the righteousness of God in Christ. How many know that verse? Second Corinthians, we're the righteousness of God in Christ. Well, that's our spirit. And that simply means, in our heart, when we get born again, we're right with God. We're the righteousness of God in Christ. That means we're just as right with God as Jesus Christ is right with God, because it's His righteousness. Now, 1 Peter 2.24 says we should live unto righteousness in. And so when you put righteousness on the outside and live right, then that's called holiness. Righteousness put into action is called holiness. That's why God said in First Peter chapter 1, said, be ye holy as I am holy. And so before you're born again, we just have a sinner's nature, you don't have the Holy Spirit in you, it's impossible to live holy because you don't have His nature. But once you're born again, every time that you live right according to the Bible, you're living holy. And God said, be ye holy as I am holy. And that's what we're talking about, to walk in the blessings of God. Watch these verses closely. As we walk in these things that God tells us to walk in, And I want to say it again. He said, put off the old. Every time you catch yourself acting like you used to, you say, oh, no, 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 no. That's the old man. You're dead. I'm taking you off. Says, strip that off of you. Those attitudes, those actions, those words, those ugly, hateful, revengeful feelings. When you're walking, okay, this is where the rubber beats the road. When you're in Walmart, and you see that person over here that wronged you, and you act like, oh, you're out of the peripheral, they'll think I don't see them. You're looking the other way because you're holding on to those wrong things towards them still. That's the time, that's the time you need to lay that package down and quit faking it. And just walk past and just be yourself. Hey, how you doing? And keep on going. You know, you don't want to lie if it's not good to see it. Don't say it's good to see you. <laughs> you don't have to lie. But you can be nice. Amen? But see, that's the kind of thing we do. If we're going to put the old man where he belongs to death, let the new man live, we got to think different than we used to think. You know, you got to treat people with respect. You know, it's different between loving somebody and want them to be your best buddy. You know, we need to get along with people, but you can't choose who you hang out with. If somebody is going to be a put-down artist every time they see you, if somebody's just a nitpicker, fault finder for your life, man, you don't want to hang out with them. But you don't want to hate them either. Amen. And so this, this, this passage, as we look, says, be constantly new the spirit of your mind, then put on, put on the new man created in God's 
righteousness and holiness. But then I want to, I want to close with these next few verses here. Then he tells you the difference between the new man and the old man in some specific things. Look at verse 25. Now I'm going to flip back to King James on this. Verse 25, I'm going to finish this out in King James pretty much. Verse 25 says, Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for a member is one of another. I mean, God's real simply saying right there, if you don't want to be self-banished, alienated from the life of God, quit lying. You know what? You know what? Totally shocks me as a pastor. I, I don't know any other way to say it, but I am shocked how many church members lie to each other to the pastor. There's so many times I can tell you, I don't go around looking for people lie, but it really shocks me how many times people tell me lies about things and then I find out just the opposite's true from what they were saying. God said, if you want to be blessed, quit lying. I mean, that's even a Ten Commandment. Thou shalt not lie. Thank you for the gift. <laughs> we, they got a new house, went over their house last night. They gave, anyway, for our new house, they gave us the Cowboys Ten Commandments. And it speaks a little bit different. But uh, anyway, that was pretty good. But anyway, I've looked at these verses here from the book of Ephesians, how Christians ought to live. And, you know, I just want to just warn you. If you have become calloused and your conscience permits you to lie all the time, ask God to help you. And the next time you catch yourself lying to somebody, tell the Holy Spirit to quicken you. And if you start to tell a lie for the Holy Spirit to let you know, and then you'll stop and correct it. This is a way to start putting on that new man on the inside and get yourself back to the blessings of God. I remember... When I was a young Christian, and I started training myself like that, the first few times, I, I guess the best way to say it is that when you're talking to somebody, and then you all said you know you're lying to them, then when you stop because you want to be right with God, you say, hey, wait a minute. I lied to you right there. That wasn't true. I had to do that a few times. And I got so embarrassed of doing that, that it made me stop lying because I got tired of having to tell people I was lying. That is so embarrassing when you're talking to people, people you work with, family members, and, and you're lying because it's been your lifestyle. You used to lie, and as sinners lie. Sinners don't get convicted about lying because they're sinners. They don't have the nature of God. So they can lie okay because they're conscious. See, your conscious being the voice of your spirit, if your spirit doesn't have Jesus in it, then your conscience will let you do anything you want to do. There's no conviction. And so you can lie as a sinner and never really feel bad about it because you don't have the nature of God. When you get the nature of God, you start to lie, you get convicted. But in my case, I remember. I'd be talking to somebody and I'd recognize, oh man, I've lied. And because I wanted to be close to Jesus, I'd just stop and say, hey, wait a minute. What I just told you is not so. That's not, not the way it was. And I sincerely got so embarrassed but I'd have to apologize about telling lies, I quit lying. Right there's enough to go home on. <laughs> Amen. But you know, you stop to think about the prize. He says you keep living that way. You're alienated from the life of God. You're going to heaven. 
that the blessings of God on earth are going to be all over you like God wants them. Amen. Doing better preaching than you are shouting. Amen. Verse 26. Be ye angry. And what's that next word say? And sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. How could you be angry, yet not sin? It's real simple. Zip the lip. You get mad about things. I get mad about things. I get mad about things that church people do. I get mad about things family members do. I get mad about things neighbors do. I get mad about things by keeping my mouth shut. The best thing you can do if you've had an anger problem, the Bible says, and sin not. So it's possible you can get upset about things and still not sin. You keep your mouth shut. I know that I know that my wife years ago, I don't do it anymore, but years ago, my kids, Josh, remember this? I'd be walking around singing, Oh, how I love Jesus. Well, the kids all knew that was code that dad's mad. Remember that, Josh? And I wasn't doing it. That's it, but I do better than to get vocal and things come out of my mouth. So if it's in the house something something happened, rather than blowing up and being stupid, I'd just go, Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, and then Bob would tell the kids, Shut up, Dad's mad. <laughs> Dad was mad, but got, Dad said not. How could, how could you be in sin if you're telling Jesus how much you love Him? And so you know what? By the time I would sing a few rounds of Oh, How I Love Jesus, the feelings of mad left. And then I was okay to go on with life, but I was angry and I sinned not. And what am I doing tonight? I'm going down through the Bible showing you how to hook up with the blessings of God. How to not miss out on God's blessings. It's about time to close it down, so I'll look at a couple more things here, but we'll close it down. But he says... Uh, be angry, said not, let not the sun go down upon your mouth, neither give place to the devil. So he says that when you become a person that gets angry, blows up on people, you're opening the door to the devil to come into your home. You're opening the door to the devil to come on your job. He says, neither give place to the devil. And then verse 28, that if you got any gray tape at home, you might get convicted on this one. It says, let him that stole steal no more. You know, if the job doesn't tell you to take a pocket full of the pens they use for advertisement, don't take a pocket full. But ask them, say, hey, can I have some of these? If they tell you you can have them, that's different. But just don't go around stealing stuff all the time. Let him stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, they may have to give to him that needeth. God says you shouldn't steal, but you ought to work. And so you put on the new man and you start living that way. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good use of edified may minister grace unto the hearers. So that means if you can't say something good, don't say anything at all. That means you guard your mouth. But I want to close in verse 30. Man, put the Living Bible up on this one, Heather. I want you to look at this verse 30 in the Living Bible. And verse 30. 
Okay. Now, also as a baby Christian, this verse here really spoke volumes to me about why I wanted to live right and not grieve the Holy Ghost. It says, don't cause the Holy Spirit sorrow by the way you live. And look at this. If this don't light your fire, your wood's all wet. It said, remember, he's the one who marks you to be present on that day when salvation from sin will be completed. And so that verse was one of the verses I put on the inside of me in my thinking and my day-to-day life. I always remember the Holy Spirit's the one, King James says, sealed me to that redemption. But I always remember the Holy Spirit's the one that marked me to be present so I can go to heaven. And so I want God and His Holy Spirit to be able to say He gets to go to heaven because He lives right. And says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And so just always remember this. And let, let, I, I, we're closing, but I just want to say this. If you don't know what it is to grieve the Holy Spirit, if you're ever starting to say you talk to somebody, you are starting to lie, if you're still sensitive to Him, you'll feel your stomach go, eh. You just feel kind of something on the inside, kind of tighten up. That's your spirit saying, I'm starting to do wrong. I shouldn't do this. And so that's when you know you start to grieve the Holy Spirit. But if you get to the place where you keep doing wrong so much, you won't even pick that up anymore. You won't even know it. So anyway, that's some tips from the Word of God on how to live as a Christian. From the book of Ephesians chapter 4, you ought to start reading the book of Ephesians. Go through those verses, look at those, and begin to live that way. And you're going to see your life change. All of a sudden, you're going to recognize you got more power of God in you. You've got more love coming out of you. you got more anointing. And it would be a whole lot easier to live and know you're pleasing God. Amen. Well, let's stand up. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.